0: morning so fruits of the Spirit uh, this is it for the summer we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 if you were with us last week you know your homework was to read Galatians 5 and study it a little bit hope you got a chance to do this so this won't be uh, uh, real new right now but it'll be something you've been hanging on a little bit uh, so we're going to start off reading Galatians 5 so if you have your scriptures please open up the Bible to uh, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, if not, it will be on the screen. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that He is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Whoa. Verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. May God add rich blessings to the reading of his word. Join me in prayer, please. God, we thank you for your word. And uh, we are in need not only of the, f- of, of the foundation that it lays for us and the, and the, uh, the health and nourishment that we receive from it, but God, we are all in a state of fallenness. We're all broken. Uh, we're, and we need a great deal of grace. We need a great deal of grace from you and from each other, God. And we recognize that we don't easily live within that grace. We don't easily live within the reality that you've created for us in your word. And the more we mess it up, the more that we get confused and the more we see things in difficult ways. We ask that today, God, you would wash us in the water of your word, that you would speak profoundly to us through Galatians chapter 5, and we would understand a little more today the reality that you have for us and how to live within that reality, God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this isn't the first time in the scriptures that uh, God equates fruit with our spiritual lives, is it? This isn't the first time across the story of the Scriptures that you see this theme of fruit be a really important thing in our relationship with God. When do you first see fruit enter the equation in our relationship with God? Garden of Eden, right. Okay, so in the Garden of Eden, it's a really big deal. I mean, this theme of fruit in our spiritual lives, it's a really big deal. It's been there from the beginning. And, of course, uh, when you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, it's amazing what happens. There's a few different Passages, and I won't read them all for you because there's a lot of story there. But what happens in Genesis chapter one and chap- chapter two is is God creates on the third day seed-bearing fruit that reproduces itself. But when he, and He says that the the uh, the Adam and Eve are going to be the caretakers of that. In chapter two, at the beginning of chapter two of Genesis, when He's kind of retelling the story, He says that no thistle or no uh, no shrubs had grown up yet. And he said, and the reason is because there was no one to work the ground. So he makes Adam as he's making the garden, and then he places Adam in the middle of the garden in order to work the ground. And then he tells Adam, he says, see all these trees here? And this is before Eve, as far as the the story it looks like in scriptures. He just says, Adam, look around. See all that food? This is for you to eat, okay? You can eat any of it. Uh, You can eat anything you want except, of course, that one right there. Don't have that one. But everything else you can have. Okay, so with that said, the idea of fruit were we created to be consumers of fruit or producers of fruit? Both, right? I mean, here's the the garden. Eat from it, consume it, it's yours. This is what will nourish you. Also, you're the caretaker of it, work the garden oversee the whole production process, that we're supposed to receive the fruit and we're supposed to produce the fruit. And we need what we need. God gives us through the garden and what we're supposed to do is take care of that garden. And so we're on both ends of it. Now, here's where the analogy breaks down because Galatians chapter 5, is that about consuming or producing fruit? The fruits of the Spirit. Are they things that we consume or things that we produce? Produce. That's more about production. Now, Most of us, if I was hanging out with you after the service and we went out to lunch and I said something about fruit and we started talking about fruit, would we be thinking in terms of consuming fruit or producing fruit? By and large, consuming fruit. We'd be thinking about... Blueberries and good antioxidants or, you know, bananas and potassium. And we would be the things that our bodies need and we'd eat those things, you know. And and we'd talk about a good fruit salad or maybe a good cherry pie or whatever it is, you know. But it'd be what we're consuming. And we largely, when we think about fruit, we think in terms of consumption. And where do you go to get the fruit? To the store, yeah. You know, you might go to to Giant or Redman or Redner's, sorry, Redman's. That was at Wegmans and Redner's, yeah, that's what that was. Um, and, uh, or you might go down to Phoenixville to a place called, anybody know? Produce Junction. That's about production, right? The produce, the fruit, where the fruit is the produce. And you go to get the produce, the thing that was produced, you go to get it, to consume it. Okay. Now, when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, we're actually called to produce the fruits of the Spirit not not it's not, That one's not about consumption. That's about production. But since most of us are not in the agricultural world, we don't think in terms of production when we hear this analogy of fruit. So in order for that analogy that we just heard, that, that Paul speaks to the uh, church in Galatia about, we actually have to kind of translate that a little bit into our world. Are we still producers? Do we still produce things? Are there things we're still supposed to produce? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Your employer thinks so, doesn't he? Yeah, he thinks you're supposed to be productive and get something done. She thinks that there's, you know, results that are supposed to come from you being paid. What are some of the things that in our workplace, I mean, you still have deliver- deliverables, objectives, goals, the, either your company's producing something or you're actually called to, uh, to uh, achieve some ends. What are some of the things that we produce now? Go ahead. If it's your company, what is it your company produces or what is it that you're supposed to do with your time? Somebody throw something out there. Customer service. Good customer service. You're supposed to have happy customers who are buying product. Okay? That right there is something we're producing. We're producing happy customers who are buying product. Okay? Any number of things that, that we're supposed to produce. And we are paid And when we're paid, that's our consumption, right? That is, you go to the garden, which is work. And when you go to the garden, you go there and you eat. You get a check from your employer and you produce, which is whatever your objectives are. And there's this balance in our life where we need to consume in order to work. And when we work, we're supposed to produce. And the more we work, the more we need. And there's that whole balance. Now, this is where it gets tricky, isn't it? That's where, like right there, it's all simple, it's all simple up until then, but then, then it gets tricky because we know that many of us right now, uh, especially since the downturn in the economy, we know that oftentimes we're actually asked to produce more than what we consume, it would feel like. You know, oftentimes where, uh, businesses, once the budget kind of gets, uh, shrinks, now we have less to pay people in order to accomplish and less staff. And now we're called to actually produce more and more. And yet we're consuming, we're receiving less and less. And you start to feel a squeeze, right? And that's the way life goes in general. It's like, Oh, there's more responsibility. I have kids now. I got to take care of them. There's this to do. There's that to do. And there's more that I got to take care of. <coughs> Whoa. There's more that I have to take care of, and less I have to take care of it with. There's less time, more responsibility. There's uh, more demands on what my boss wants from me, and less of a budget in order to get it done. You know, and uh, you all know what I'm talking about? That's kind of how it works. Now, how does how do we get there? What? How do we get to a place where what it is that we try to produce with our lives seems to be less than what we have, and it creates this place of tension? Well, um, in the business world, well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Well, there's a couple things that happened. First of all, they took the fruit that they weren't supposed to take, and instantly after they took the fruit, there was a curse that fell on humanity. When God said, this is what I will give you to consume, and were we content with that? Well, we kind of were. I mean, life was good, but then we saw this other thing. And there was the materialistic. It was pleasing to the eye. The the fruit was pleasing to the eye. And it was valuable for gaining, anybody know? Knowledge. Yes. So I'm going to know more, and and it's going to satisfy my thirst. Um, And so we, we got a little greedy, and we went after this thing. As soon as that happened, then there was the curse that fell. When the curse fell, what was cursed? What was the first thing that was cursed beyond Satan? Satan had to curse the serpent. But after that, what was the first thing that was cursed? The ground. The ground was cursed. What comes out of the ground? The fruit. Yeah, the the tree comes out of there. And now what was the curse is that by the sweat of your brow, you will eat of the produce of this ground. So now, what once was easy because of the favor of God... It's going to get a whole lot more difficult. And there's a few reasons. One is because the ground was going to start producing all sorts of things that made it difficult. The ground wasn't working as well anymore. Secondly is we had tasted forbidden fruit. And once you get a taste of forbidden fruit, it's kind of hard to forget the taste. And you keep wanting more. And then you're trying to get stuff that God didn't design for us to get, you know? And you know how it is, right? Once we've tasted sin, we start to hunger for sin. And we yearn for it. And what's more is now there's the knowledge of good and evil. And what used to be just fun, hanging out with, with God in the garden, now all of a sudden there's rules because we know the difference between good and evil. And I'm trying really hard to not do the bad thing. And now there's fear. Fear that I won't be able to have what it is that I want. Fear that I won't be able to live in the right and wrong. And in and, and general, still that greed and, and part of me that wants the stuff. you know, And it makes everything a whole lot more complicated. How that happened recently in America, we saw a great illustration of this whole thing with fruit. And that's that we were hungry, weren't we? And there were subprime mortgages, and there was credit cards, and there's all sorts of ways that we could get stuff that we, was far beyond what we actually deserved you know, or what was designed for us. And so we start charging, and and we start going after lifestyles that are inappropriate, all because we want more satisfaction than what it is that God gave us for. And what it does is it creates a bubble, you know, this big bubble of false expectation where we think we're getting happier, but it's setting us up for what's about to happen, which is that bubble will pop. I remember um, watching one of the Disney films with my kids. I think I've talked about this before. There's a um, Lightning McQueen in cars, and he's and He's trying to win the company' he's driving around the racetrack, and uh, everyone else is getting go, going into the pit stop and getting their tires changed and he decides not to. He's just getting gas in his car and uh, the announcer's saying it's all gas and goes for McQueen today. normally i'd say that's a short term loss or a short-term gain and a long-term loss, but it seems to be working for him until he comes around the last corner and his tires pop and he has to limp to the end and the other guys catch up with him and it's a tie. It's kind of like the tortoise and the hare, right? You know, you can try to cheat the system and overwork it to get ahead and all of that, but in the end, it doesn't actually work and we can reach for the fruit that God told us not to or we can overcharge in order to do this or we can live in ways that God hasn't told us to because we'll feel more immediate satisfaction, but it creates a That in the long term doesn't actually help us out. In the long term it takes the foundation out from underneath of us. And see what has happened for many of us now is we live in a society and we live in a world where we have tasted life that is full of all sorts of pleasure. And we want to continue to live in that pleasure. And yet at this point, the ground is hard to till. It's getting harder to till. And there isn't as much produce coming out of it. And yet I have this problem, you see. And I'm on a treadmill where I think that if I'm unhappy, that what do I need? I need more fruit. Because I'm unhappy, and if I change my circumstances, I'll be more happy. And if I don't have peace, I need to just—I need to have enough money to get a vacation home, because then I'll be able to relax, you know. But then, of course, I gotta pay for that vacation home, so I gotta work harder. And so, man, if my—if my, if my house—if we just had this stuff, we'd be able to relax more, or we'd be more happy in order to do what it is that we need to do. And we always think that the source of the joy, the source of the peace, is in the circumstances. So we try to change the circumstances in order to to get more joy and more peace and we end up chasing our tail and it never works because we have to work harder to keep up with it all. And each time, the ground gets harder and there's more thistles because the curse falls on it because instead of looking to God to receive our fruit, we look to our own labor. And the more we do it, the more the ground is cursed and the harder it becomes. Funny thing is though, the Scriptures refer to the soil more and more. Throughout the text, as human hearts, the soil where the seed falls is the soil of human hearts, and the question is, will the soil be healthy? Well, the thing keeps going with Adam and Eve. Of course, after they after the ground was cursed, they had two kids. What were their kids' names? Help me out. Cain and Abel. All right. What did Abel do for a living? What's that? He was a shepherd. Yeah. You'll hear that one again in the scriptures. Hold on to that one, the shepherd thing. Um, and, then, and then the other one, Cain, what did he do? He was a gardener, a farmer. You'll also hear gardener again in the, in the scripture. Now, they both did stuff. You know, One of them took care of the sheep. The other one produced the fruit. They came to God and they offered the sacrifice. God obviously wanted sacrifice, and then they come and they go to offer the sacrifice. What does Cain bring for sacrifice? Produce, thank you. So he takes the best of his produce and he offers this produce to God. Abel, what does he offer to God? A lamb, and so he offers this lamb. And um, one of those is acceptable and the other is not. Which one's acceptable? The lamb. Now here's what's confusing. Okay, when you get when you move forward to the law code, you realize that God does are, are both of these things acceptable sacrifices according to God fruit and the produce? Yes, they're both acceptable in the law code. There's a principle of first fruits, right? When you take your fruits and you give a thank offering to God. So everything that God has blessed us with, all the fruitfulness, all the productiveness, we take the first of all of it and we bring it to God as a thank offering to say, thank you God, your favor has been with us, your grace has been here, you've blessed us, we give it back to you, thank you. The offering plates just recently went around and that's what we do with the offering, right? The offering is a thank offering to God, tithing back to God of the first fruits of all that we have received, we give back to Him him. That's a thank offering. That's what Cain actually appears to be bringing to God. You know? And yet somehow God doesn't accept it. And there's a reason why. Because humanity was not in a good relationship with God. And when we're not in a good relationship with God, but we try to do things that we think will please God, like being really productive, and we try to bring God our fruit and say, look what I did, God. Here, He says to us, our righteousness is as filthy rags. He's not impressed with our first fruits. First fruits coming out of the gratitude of our heart is a great thing. First fruits in order to try to satisfy the injustice in our world and get forgiveness because that, it doesn't work. Abel brings the first sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so there had to be a sacrificial lamb in order for the relationship to be restored. The fruits that Cain brought were not acceptable to restore a relationship with God. The sacrifice of a lamb was acceptable to restore a relationship with God. If the relationship was restored with God and it was working really well and he was in a great relationship with God, well then a thank offering of the first fruits of what he was accomplishing would be a great idea. But until there's been reconciliation with God, it doesn't make sense. How's that all apply to us? You know? What's that have to do with us? Well, this is what often ends up happening. You see, actually, let's keep going with this story even before we make the application. Let's keep going one little step further. Cain, of course, it doesn't work, right? And Cain, what happens to him? What does he do? He gets really, really mad and jealous. And this is what happens when we're trying to do something that we think looks good and yet somehow we don't receive the credit or the favor or the blessing and it doesn't satisfy. And you look at this guy over here or this girl over here and she just did this simple little thing and God seemed to approve of that. And uh, the tension and love goes out the door. The first fruit of the spirit that was gone in the Garden of Eden as soon as they first took the forbidden fruit and Adam and Eve are pointing at each other, blaming each other. Love was long gone. Then they have the kids and now the kids are jealous. Love is long gone on. We'll get into that next week when we talk about love. But, but this is what happens now is Cain gets very mad. He gets jealous of Abel. And of course, he kills his brother. When he kills his brother, we're told again, uh, we don't have time to go through each one of these texts, but what happens is, is the blood sinks down into the land. It says that the land receives the blood of Abel, receives the blood of Abel. And what happens, now there's another curse that falls, second curse, curse number two. God curses Cain. Anybody remember what he says to Cain? The land will never produce fruit for you again. It will never yield fruit. And he was a gardener. So first, it went from being easy fruit in the garden because of the grace of God and it just worked to it being hard. And this guy worked hard. I'll just work harder. And now I'm going to show God how good we can do it. You know, and here's my fruit. And then God's like, that's not actually what I'm looking for. We need a sacrifice at this point for forgiveness. Now he's mad because Abel got it right and he didn't. So he slays his brother. The blood goes down and God said, now listen, it was the wrong blood that was shed by you. And because of it, this ground will no longer produce any fruit. When we watch in our world how this works, this is how it works. We want things that we shouldn't want. We go and get them. And when we go and get them, all of a sudden work becomes a lot harder because we have eyes for the wrong things. Our hearts can't be motivated the right way. And there's a curse over all the things that we're doing. It never seems to work out quite right. And it takes etch- extra effort in order to keep it going. And that's because the curse of God is innate within it because he doesn't want things to go well if we're not depending on him because we have to turn and lean back in him. And so things get more difficult. At this point, we have some options. What we tend to do in our guilt is we tend to try try to throw token efforts toward God and expect him to be pleased with our efforts toward him so we do some good religious activities or do some things and say look at my fruit God and God says no we need the shedding of blood at this point it doesn't work fruit you need to depend on the broken blood, broken body, and the shed blood of Christ. But we have a tendency not to go back there, but to try to push it back up and to make things work. And when things don't work, we have a tendency to begin to not love each other, but to really have tension in our relationships. And when that tension starts in the relationship, now God, it really allows the curse to continue. And what ends up happening is, is that the land stops yielding fruit altogether. And the first fruit to go is always the fruit of love which is the first of the fruits of the Spirit. But we also get less and less productive because we're not functioning well in these relationships, so then what it is that we're supposed to produce doesn't work very well at all anymore because the curse has consumed us. Cain wanders around trying to figure out what to do from there. Here in America, we have, uh, we've struggled. We've struggled because as it's been obvious that we've wanted things that we haven't, even as we've seen things get more difficult, in general we haven't responded by returning to God and saying, we're sorry, we wanted the wrong things, we should have wanted you, and instead we're chasing after this and chasing after this. Instead, most of what we do is we tend to work harder to try to keep up the lifestyle that we once once tasted instead of falling on our face before God and just being like, God, I need you. I went to the wrong place. You know, life was great in the garden and it may never be quite like the garden this side of heaven, but I do know that if I have you, that I would have everything I need. And instead of being like the prodigal son, who comes back and says, man, being a servant in your house would be better than being out here doing all this. We keep telling ourselves, if we just work a little harder, if we just do a little more, we'll get there. And we have less peace and we have less joy because we're trying to change our circumstances in order to get peace and joy. But the fruits of the Spirit in our life are missing. The joy and the peace. Why? Because we're not nurturing a relationship with God that starts with repentance. The fruit of the spirit is found by keeping in step with the spirit and we're told here in Galatians chapter uh, in five verse 24 those who belong to Jesus Christ Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires their desires have been crucified with Christ in verse 25 since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit okay so here it is There's also, let's read one other verse, actually, the very beginning of the chapter, verse 1. There's this beautiful, beautiful verse, spectacular verse here. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Have you ever been at work and felt like it almost was like, I'm just slave to the grind here? You ever felt that, where you're stuck in the cycle you know, where you're like, I gotta do this in order to get that, in order to pay these bills and all that, and but you're it's not necessarily joy, you're not it's not about the joy of gardening anymore. It's about stuck in the cycle. You're on the treadmill or on the hamster wheel and you're trying to get ahead, but it seems like you're staying in the same spot and it's just the cycle. And in the meantime, you know, it's this passage is saying stay in step with the spirit and it's like, How can I stay in step with the spirit when I'm just trying to keep in step with the treadmill? You know? And 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 with the cycle, and I can't seem to find God. And and what's going on in the middle of that is that God's saying, it is for freedom that I've set you free. You don't have to be on the hamster wheel anymore. Your employer is not your provider. Your circumstances aren't what make you happy and give you joy. Love is not found from your spouse and, and their approval of you. Love and joy and peace and all of those things, they don't come from wealth. They don't come from circumstances. They don't even come from human relationships. They come from God. They come from the hand of God. And when I'm on the treadmill, it's because I'm trying to make everything else work. And when He tells me to move with the Spirit, I can't move with the Spirit because I can't stand to step off the treadmill because I'm afraid of what will happen. And He says, but Christ has set us free. Why? Because we don't have to come and bring fruits to God in order to impress him. What we have to do is lean into a sacrificial lamb and realize that the blood has already been shed. And the scriptures tell us that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel which means that when Jesus hangs on a cross of Calvary and the blood runs off of him, it soaks up into the ground the same way that Abel's blood fell into the ground. And you know who put him there? The same kind of people who put Abel in the ground. Because there were people who were jealous because their fruit somehow didn't satisfy and didn't seem acceptable to God. But this guy seemed to just walk in the favor of God. And as a matter of fact, he was God. And they couldn't stand it, so they crucified him the same way that Cain killed Abel. And they put him on a cross. But this time when the blood flows out, instead of it bringing a curse, it breaks the curse. And it's a beautiful thing because what happens is, is Jesus says, you don't need the fruit anymore. You don't need to produce the fruit. It won't make me happy if you produce the fruit. I've already made the eternal sacrifice. What you need to do, what you need to do is come to the vine. Come to the vine. Okay, so this is where you see John chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. And listen to the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Cain is not the gardener. I am not the gardener. The father is the gardener. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I want to stop there for a second. Has he said anything about cleanliness before this? So, why all of a sudden does he say the word clean? It's so weird. What was that? He didn't even say anything about dirtiness, let alone cleanliness. Well, the reason is because when he says, My father's the gardener, and he snips off every branch that doesn't bear fruit, what's the tendency of a fallen humanity to feel in that moment? I feel dirty. I'm not producing fruit the way I'm supposed to. I have fear in my life. If I, if I'm not producing, and now he'll prune, and so what he's, he's assuring them in the moment. He's saying, look, dad's the gardener. This is what he does. If you're, if you're not producing fruit, snip. And if you are producing fruit, he's still gonna prune you, which isn't all that comfortable either, so that you can keep producing fruit. And then there's this instant thing that happens for those of us who, uh, struggle with fear, is like, am I producing enough fruit? You know, like, am I going to get snipped or not is the question, you know? And because we are like Cain where we think if we bring the right amount of fruit to God that somehow we'll stay a part of the garden as if we're the ones who can actually produce the fruit, right? And what he's saying is he whispers in a, a word of assurance to them right in the middle of this. He says, don't feel dirty. I'm already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. His blood speaks a better word than that of Abel. Okay, so here we go. He, he he goes on, verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Are we called to bear fruit? You bet we're called to bear fruit. God expects that fruit is coming out of Christians' lives and that it's the fruit of the glory of God. It's the character traits of God that are bubbling up off of us and they're coming out of our branches and coming out of our decisions, coming out of our lifestyles. We're looking like God. We're looking like the the character of God coming off of us and that's the fruit that we're supposed to bear. But here's the difference between God and the average employer that we deal with is he doesn't skimp on the resources. He lays down his life for his sheep and he has the entire flocks of of, uh, of heaven and all the fruit that we could possibly think of right here at his fingertips. He's got the checkbook of the kingdom of God and he's got his very self to coach us, to approve of us, to love on us. If we lack wisdom, he says he'll give it to us. There's absolutely nothing that God won't give to us. He's an employer with an open door who says anytime you need help, anytime you know you're supposed to be doing this but you don't have the resources for it, come see me, I'll write you a check right now and we'll get it done. If you need wisdom, if you need perspective, come to me. I'll help give you perspective. If you're feeling low about yourself and you don't know if you're doing a good job Come over here and i'll give you a hug and it's all going to be okay, you know And that's where he's at with he's the greatest open door employer, you know He's just come in and i'll help you out. But have you ever had a gift? That you weren't able to receive somebody offered me uh, a couple years ago uh, offered our family. Hey, we have a cabin If you want to use the cabin, um, we'd love for you to use the cabin and we were like, oh, that would be awesome, you know. But the problem was, is we were booked up for the whole rest of the year, every weekend. And we couldn't use the cabin. And here's somebody, you know, and I'm just like, "Ah, oh, it's terrible to have the ability to access a gift and not be able to receive it. And when we're running on the treadmill of our lives, and Jesus says, hey, are you weary and heavy laden? Because <laughs> my yoke is easy and my burden's light, and you can find rest for your souls, but you have to come unto me. You know? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want to hang out with you. I want to eat with you. I've already laid down my life for you. The lamb has already been sacrificed. It's already available. I'm right here. But the real question is, when I get up in the morning, do I have time for him? You know? Do I have time for him in the morning? Before I go to bed at night, am I too exhausted to actually connect with Jesus because I've given myself to everything else in my life and, and I'm trying to get, at the very end, some little thing with Christ? Or do I understand that He is the source of all that I need. And that the greatest priority of my life is not to be productive, but the greatest priority of my life is to be connected. And if I'm connected, I will be productive if I'm connected to the vine, if I'm connected to the juice, you know, where the sap flows, where the Holy Spirit moves. And then He says, if you live by the Spirit, And keep in step with the Spirit. And he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go into all the world. Bear the fruit. Make the disciples. Do whatever you need to do. But I'm with you always. Don't forget, stay connected because it's the only way it works. Amen? All right, let's pray.